Man, good worship leaders make you forget that there's someone up on the stage, right? And I think that that's kind of what I just experienced right there. Right? Good worship leaders put you into the throne room of God, and they make you commune with God, and you forget that they're actually up here leading. And man, when that happens, I just want to keep worshiping and keep worshiping and keep, keep singing. I think that song is a little taste of what heaven's going to be like, right? Ever be on my lips. It's always, praise is always going to be on my lips. Hey, today we're actually going to talk about worship, um, which I love. And uh, speaking of wanting to worship all the time, I was out in California in Fresno not the nicest of places if you've been or if you've traveled through it. Usually that's what you do when you go to Fresno. You travel through it. But I worked for a church there. I was part of their, the high school group, and I took these, these kids to camp each, each summer. And I, we went up to this, uh, this camp in the High Sierras, and it wasn't the typical high school camp that, that I was used to going to, uh, you know, youth group, high school camp. There wasn't like the blob where you jump on and sends a kid into the lake. Like, it wasn't where you get Sundays and quesadillas. Like, this was a spiritual, like, it, 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 was, it, was, it was about spiritual disciplines. Like, that's what this camp was about. And so we would go up in the mountains, and, and we would be working on our prayer life. We would be communing with God and each other. We would be praying with one another. We would, we would be living literally learning how to do the spiritual disciplines. It's not your average kind of camp. And part of the spiritual disciplines we, we, taught, we learned about and we experienced there was, was worship. And so we were there in the high Sierra Mountains. I was with these other campers, these, these, these students as, and these other leaders. And, and I just remember clearly we would, we would be on the side of this mountain and we were just worshiping Jesus. We sang songs like, How Great Thou Art. We actually sang the song that we sang today, 10,000 Reasons for My Soul to Find. We sang these songs that were just worship music, worship songs. And I looked up and I saw the millions of stars. And I said, there's a million reasons here for me to worship Jesus. In fact, the next day, I was, so, I was so much in tune with the Lord. I was so much worshiping Jesus that the kids that were with me the next day said, Chris, you're not a good singer. I said, oh. I, I usually don't sing loud, but I was just, you know, I, I felt bad for Carter up here today. I hope I wasn't too loud. But I was just so in tune. I was so in tune with the Lord that I just forgot where I was. I forgot who I was with, and I was just with Jesus. Man, that is what worship is all about. I'm sure you have had moments of worship like that as well. Maybe it's been right here in this room. Maybe it's been with your family when you've been out in, the, in nature and you've just seen the beautiful things that God has done. We remember these parts of worship because I believe that God has created us to worship. God has hardwired our souls. Each and every person in this room, he has hardwired our souls to worship. And we're really, really good at it, right? There's many things that we can worship too. And, and we're good at it. We can worship education. We can worship families. We can worship these really good things. We can worship food. We can worship church. We can worship all sorts of things. And, and they're good things, right? Because God has hardwired us to worship. But God has also hardwired us to only be satisfied in Christ. Right? We can worship a lot of things, and we do worship a lot of things. But ultimately, our souls that God gave us, that he created and he put in us, will only be satisfied in Jesus. And so I want to talk 
today about worship. I want to talk about what, why do we even worship? And we're going through these six spiritual uh, pathways this summer. We talked about prayer last week, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And we, and we, we learned how Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and then, and then, and then we learned more about prayer. And this week, we want, I want to talk to you about worship. And I love worship. It's something I feel like I could do. I wish the band was up here right now just leading us in worship I love worship, and, and, and when I think about it, when I think about worship, the very first thing I ask myself, especially as I'm prepping for this, is, is why, why do we worship, right? If, if you didn't know church culture, if you didn't know Jesus, and you walked into this, in this building, into this place to this morning, you would think that these people, that you people here are absolutely nuts, that you are crazy. What on earth are you doing here? Right? There's these weird PVC pipes up here with, with these lights, and we got these lights to hear, and people are, are, are raising their hands, and you're listening to this guy preach a sermon. This is Sunday morning. There are farmer's markets you could be going to, right? There are, there are sporting events that you could be going to. There are all sorts of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. Why on earth do you crazy people come together to worship? Why? Why on earth do you do it? Well, I think that the answer, is, it's pretty simple. I think it's, it's really simple, actually. We come to worship because we testify to and we witness to God transforming lives through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we put these, these screens up. That's why we do all of this stuff. That's why I'm up here. That's why you are here, because lives are transformed by Jesus Christ, and we want to witness to that. In fact, you just showing up here this morning is testifying to God's grace. You just walking into this building shows people what God's grace is like. I've heard stories like this. Maybe you have too. People eating at the diner on a Sunday morning and seeing these kids running into to church. And they're saying, my experience with church was that the kids were trying to run far away from church, right? What's going on with that place? And all these cars in the parking lot? Why are people doing this? Just you showing up here is, is testifying to God's grace in your life. And that is why we come to worship. All these things that we have, all the accoutrements, right? All these chairs and the, and the lights and, and all of the, all these things. It's not about that. They aid in it, but it's not about that. It's about worshiping and seeing Jesus transform lives. And that is why we come to worship. And I got to tell you if, if you, if you're in a place in your life where kind of in this lukewarm plate. You, just, you feel like you're kind of just on a little hamster wheel, right? Just running and running. You don't, you don't, you don't really feel this relationship with Christ is, is, is going anywhere. I think this is a good Sunday to be here because my prayer for you in this is that you would look at worship, that you would look at your heart, look at your attitude as you're coming to worship. What is that like? Because worship is a, I believe that it's a thermometer for our souls. It shows us how satisfied we are in receiving God's goodness and then responding to it in gratefulness. And so if you kind of feel like you're in a lukewarm place, maybe this Sunday as you look at worship is the place that you need to be. So I want to look at a passage in, in John 4. We're going to take a look at John 4. It's, it's the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm going to kind of go in bits and pieces of it as we go through the chapter. I'll paraphrase a little bit and then I'll, I'll, I'll read certain verses. And while we're going through this passage here this morning, I want you to ask yourself, is the Samaritan woman at the well worshiping Jesus? 
Right? That's what I want you to ask yourself as we're going through it. And when we go through it, we're going to find out ways of worship that we can apply here to our life as well. Right? So we're in John chapter 4, and, and to give you a background before I, I start reading, Jesus is, is going from one town to another, and he's passing through Samaria. And most people went around Samaria, because, particularly the Jewish folks at the time, because they did not get along, the Samaritans and, and the Jews. There was some bad blood between the two of them. And so Jesus, like Jesus would do, he decided, you know what, I'm not going to go around these people. I'm going to go right, right through them because I want, I'm going to meet people, right? I want to share my, the goodness that, that I have here. And so he, he's going to this town in Samaria. It's the hottest part of the day in, in our story here. It's, it's the sixth hour. It's noon. And there's this woman who is going to the well, to Jacob's well, which you can read about in Genesis in the Old Testament, going to Jacob's well to get her water for the day, okay? And so Jesus comes to this woman, and he says, hey, can, can I get a drink of, of the water? That's what he's, and she says, why are you asking me? Why are you asking me for this water? You're a man, and, and men and women don't talk, right, in, in, in that culture. And in particular, I'm a Samaritan, and Jesus, why are you talking? You're clearly a Jew. Why are you talking to me? Right? So that's what she's thinking. Why are you asking me for water? And then Jesus says, if only you knew who I am, you would be asking me for the living water. It's like, oh man, like what a response. If I was the Samaritan woman, I'd be like, what is this guy talking about? Living water? What on earth? And she says, and she's, so the woman says, are you greater than our forefathers? Are you greater than Jacob who actually built this, this well? Are you greater than them? You're offering a living water. Are you greater than our forefathers? And then Jesus again has only a G, as Jesus could do, a Jesus answer. He says, everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now, if I'm the Samaritan woman at that moment, I'm saying, yes, please. Right? I'm saying, yes, give me that water. I, 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 want, that, I want that water. And so she says, sir, give it to me so, so that I will not be thirsty again and so that I don't have to come to this well to get any water. So let's, take a, let's pause here for a second. Is this woman worshiping Jesus? She said, yes, I want this living water. Is she worshiping Jesus? The first thing I thought about when I read this story and I read this part is I don't think so. Not yet, at least. She's not worshiping Jesus, right? This, her answer to yes, I want the living water, what is that about? That's about her. That's not about the Messiah. That's not about Jesus. That's about her. She's saying, you know what? I have this life that's, that's a little promiscuous in the past, and that's why I have to come out here in the hottest part of the day to get my water, because I don't want all the ladies in town to look at me with that shameful look that I always get. So that's why i got to come out here at noontime to get my water. So of course I, I want this living water, so I don't have to come out here to this well anymore. Right? That's what she's thinking. It's, it's, it's about her shame. It's about her sin at this moment. It's not about worship. It's not about the Messiah that's in front of her because she does not know this Messiah yet. She's just getting introduced to him. And so that's the first thing that I, that I learned about worship from this story. Knowledge of God necessitates worship of God. You can't worship God if you don't know him. And the woman here does not know him as the Savior yet, does not know him as the Messiah yet. This is the simplest way that I could think about it. My, my beautiful wife, Sarah, is from Michigan, okay? 
In Michigan, they have heard about New York-style pizza before. They have heard about it. They have seen pictures of it. They think Little Caesars is good. It, it's, they, don't, they don't, but see, they haven't been here to taste it yet. When you have been to, to New Jersey or to New York and you have experienced the pizza, when you have folded that bad boy, right, and not, not eat with a fork and knife, when you folded that thing, you see the grease dripping from the pizza, you have experienced New York-style pizza, Right? You can know about it. I can know about Alaska and all the cruises that people go on in Alaska. I can know about it, but I don't really experience and taste it until I have actually done that, until I have experienced. You can't know God. You can't worship God unless you know him, right? So very much like New York-style pizza, worshiping Jesus is just like that, okay? I never thought I would say that in a church. Um, The more you know God the more capacity you have to worship him. And how do you get to know God? How do you get to know God? It's right here, right? God, he, he shows himself to us through his word. And that's why we get up and we read scriptures and, and that's, why we, that's why we worship. That's how we get to know him is through the word of God. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna read some verses. I want us to get to know this God this morning so that we can worship him this morning. So we worship We worship a God who is powerful and who is infinite. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. We worship a God that never changes. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We worship a God who is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us, as Jen opened up the service here this morning with, he doesn't need us to worship. If you think God needs needs your worship, then you got the roles reversed. I'm sorry. He doesn't need our worship. He is self-sufficient. He rather desires us to worship. And it says, Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. There's nothing else that defines me. I am who I am is what God says. We worship a God who makes himself known to us. It's John 1, 14, it says, and the word, which is Jesus, made himself flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, and we have seen his glory. God doesn't let us try and figure out who he is. He didn't create the world and just let it spin for us to somehow figure out life. No, no, no. He came to this earth as the word made flesh and we have seen his glory. We worship a God who has made himself known to us. We worship a God who saves us from your sin, from your shame, me for my sin and my shame. We serve a God who is rich in mercy. We sang about that this morning as well. Ephesians 2 Four says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you and me were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you, church, have been saved. We worship the God who is righteous and who is good and who is worthy to be praised. That's the kind of God that we come to worship week in and week out. A God that is infinite, a God that is powerful, a God who loves us, a God who makes himself known to us. And we as a church community gathered together get to respond to his goodness towards us in worship. You can't worship God if you don't know God. And the more you get to know God, the more capacity your heart will have for worship. So that's the first thing I see in the, with the woman at the well right? She doesn't quite know the Messiah yet. She doesn't quite know him yet, and so she's not capable of worshiping him. The second thing we see from this story is that 
we can't worship God if we don't take our sin seriously. And this is, what the, this is the second mistake that this woman at the well makes, and a mistake that we can make as well. We can't worship God if we don't take our sin seriously. She hadn't, the woman at the well, she hadn't let Christ confront her in her sin yet. She hadn't let him into those parts of her life yet. And so what does, how does this happen? Jesus tells her in the story, hey, can you go get your husband for me? Do, can you do me, go get your husband for me? And she's like, I, well, I don't, I don't have one. I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you don't. You don't. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with right now that you're living with, he's not your husband, right? So right here, Jesus is helping her confront her sin and her shame. That is what he's doing here. See, you see, when we worship, when this, when this woman at the well eventually worships him, we have to do it with all of ourselves. It can't just be the pretty parts of our life. It can't be the well-manicured yard, right, when, when the house inside is a wreck, right? God doesn't want the well-manicured lawn, right? He wants all of us. He wants all of the woman at the well. He wants her sin. He wants her shame. He wants her brokenness, and he wants ours as well. And we can't worship him unless we give all of ourselves to him. It's not just the pretty parts in our life. And here's the thing, God doesn't just want the, 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 the hard parts of our life, the sin in our life, the shame in our life, to make sure that we stay down and we keep down. To say, you're not worthy of my love. He doesn't do it to do that, right? He wants all of that stuff. He wants all of our sin because he knows that there's forgiveness in the blood of Christ. He knows that there's a rich and abundant life in Christ. There, there's a life in obedience of following after Jesus that, that, that is so much more full than, than, a, than a life that's lived in sin. And so he wants our sin so that he can lift us up, not to keep us down. And so when we come to worship Jesus, we need to bring all of ourselves to him. All the parts, all the brokenness, all the parts of this past week that you wish your spouse didn't find out about, all the parts of this week that you're not proud of, all the times with your kids that you wish you could do a redo. He wants all of that, and that's what we get to bring him in worship week in and week out. So knowing God helps us in our capacity to worship him, knowing him more, as well as bringing all of ourselves to him, all of the sin the last thing, the last thing that we learn from this woman, and, and I should say, this is not the last thing you can learn because that's like limiting what you can learn from this passage. There's so much more to this that we could get into. But the last thing I want to draw attention to about worship with this woman here today is, is, that, is that we learn that we have to worship, we get to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. It's both of these things. So let's, I'm going to go back to the passage here. And so the woman says, after he's like, hey, you, you don't have a husband, and the guy you're with is not your, and the, he goes through all that, right? And she's like, okay, wow. I, sir, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. All right, we're getting somewhere, right? And, you know, he's just a man, now a prophet. Maybe we'll get to Messiah eventually, and she does. But she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Quick sidebar here. There's a lot to that passage just right there. The Samaritans at the time believed that there was this specific mountain that you ought to worship on. And the woman knew that the Jews believed that the specific place that they ought to worship is in Jerusalem. So she's saying, listen, I know that there's this difference between me and you about the places that we ought to worship, right? I know we say we're supposed to worship here and you say that we're supposed to worship here, right? So, so she's kind of, she's not getting to the heart of what Jesus is trying to get at at this moment just yet. And then this is what Jesus' response is. He says, woman, 
believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Woman, that's not what I'm talking about, right? In all love and all sincerity, I'm not talking about where we're ought to worship. I'm not talking about that mountain versus this mountain. This is not where we're getting at, Jesus says. He says, we worship, or he says, you worship what you do not know. Remember what we just talked about? She doesn't, she doesn't know the Messiah. She's saying, he's saying, you can't worship me yet because you don't know me. And then, he, and then he says, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. And I really appreciate that John added that last part in there about, about the Father seeking people in worship. As I mentioned earlier, he doesn't need us, but rather he's seeking you. He's seeking you to worship. He, he wants you. He wants you to delight in worship, in spirit and in truth. This is the easiest way for me to wrap my head around the idea of spirit and in truth, because again, this is probably a whole nother sermon, but the way I think about worshiping in spirit and in truth is we need to worship with both our heads and our hearts. It needs to be both of these things together. There are some people out here, right, that like to worship with your head. You love ideas. You love the, the orthodoxy. You love all these different beliefs and doctrines. And if we, and we, if we only worship with our intellect, right, it, we end up with idolatry, actually, because we're worshiping what we know as opposed to, to the creator, right? And, and you end up with religiosity. You, you end up with rules, and you end up with, with just rigidness, and you have no grace when you're just worshiping with your head. And if you're just worshiping in spirit, if you're just worshiping with your heart, what do you get with that, right? You get this emotionalism. You get this this chaotic frenzy. And all you're doing is you're going from one church to another or one place to another, and you're looking for that that pleasure in in worship that you get. And so you you end up, again, worshiping yourself. You're not worshiping your intellect, but you're worshiping that that pleasure that you get, that God-given pleasure, I might add, in worship. And so again, you're worshiping yourself if you're just worshiping with, with, with the Spirit, and you're worshiping yourself if you're just worshiping in truth. We need to worship, we get to worship with both our heads and our hearts. That's why when we're singing these songs here on a Sunday morning, the words need to be rich and powerful, and they need to speak of, of, the, of the knowledge of God, and they need to speak of his goodness, they need to speak of his character. We're not just saying, hey, I feel good that I'm in church, right? No, 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 I, I'm worshiping the living God with, with, with my head and with my heart. And so that is the last thing that we see this woman at the well experience. Jesus says we need to worship in spirit and in truth. And you know, I want to just ask us today is is how are we as as New Providence Presbyterian Church, how are we doing with worship? Because I believe that that biblical worship is a hallmark of any any thriving, any Christ-honoring church. I can go to worship for, for a minute and I, can, and I can know, and I can know how that church is doing. How are we doing with our worship? How are we doing with our knowledge of God? How are we doing with bringing our sin and, and, and all, of our, all of us to the, to the table and to the throne? How are we doing with worshiping in spirit and in truth? And how are you doing in your own life? Because worship, as I said earlier, it's not an obligation. You coming here is not a duty. It, it, it's a celebration. It's, it is a celebration of everything that God has done. And so I love coming to worship. 
I love it because I get to gather together with people who know Jesus, who know that been, they have set him, us free from our sin. And I love worshiping because during the week, I don't know about you, but my week doesn't always go how I want it to go. Right, And so when I come to, to worship and I have the conversations that I had this past week and I have those frustrating things or you have what, something the doctor tells you that you don't really want to hear, you have all of these things or something that your spouse tells you that they don't want to hear, or your kids, I get to come to worship with people and to lay everything at the foot and to be reminded that Jesus is the almighty God who has saved us from our sin, saved me from my sin, and it recharges me, it reorients me to worship worship the almighty God with my spirit, with my heart, with my strength, and with my soul. God satisfies your soul in Jesus. I believe that worship is all about receiving God's goodness, responding out of gratefulness in reverence. If you don't like worship, I got bad news for you, really bad news. When we get to heaven, if you've given your life to Christ, and I hope everyone in this room has or will at some point because it's the best thing you could ever do. If you've given your life to Christ, when we get to heaven, all we are going to be doing is worshiping. That's it. So we, we should get used to it now. Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four. I want to end with this. This is describing when, the, when these, the four living creatures are coming and, and they're worshiping God. And then it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, it says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And what do they do? They worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast, how do they worship? They cast their crowns down at the feet of the throne. And it says, then they say, worthy are you, O Lord and God. And we sang that today. Worthy are you, Lamb. Right? We sang that today and we're going to be singing it in heaven. Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Man, I cannot wait until we get to do that all the day long. And we get glimpses of it here on earth. We get glimpses of what it's like to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, to worship the God who saves us, to worship the God who creates us and redeems our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the king. Thank you that you are seated on the throne and thank you that you even would accept our praise and our worship and our offerings. God, thank you that we are able to just lay our crowns at your feet, our crowns that are all scuffed up, our crowns that are broken, our crowns that are rusted, our crowns that have writing all over it. God, thank you that you accept us and thank you that you have sent your son for us. May we worship you in this next season of New Providence. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray all this in the powerful, loving, infinite name of Jesus. Amen.